Hey everybody, welcome to this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. I'm glad that you've joined us. I hope that you stick with us. Here in just a few moments, we're going to be back in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to bring this first chunk of the book of Acts to a close. And uh, we'll pick up the story later on, but uh, next week, I'm going to have a quick message that I recorded for you already that I hope that you'll pay attention to next week as we kind of step away from the story of Acts and uh, I get to step away for a little bit of vacation. But tonight, we are looking at the community reflex. I'll explain what that means here in a minute. But for now, would you just join me in Acts chapter 4 as we wind down this first chunk of the book together. While you're getting there, I want to do a special shout out to Jason and Becky Knight, our student ministry leaders. It was so fun to have uh, a family fun day, a family game day for the families of our high school and middle school students. To see them spread out in the gym, they got a basket of goodies and challenges in their homes this morning. They went out and around to do these different challenges. They all wound up in the gym at the church building in which we meet, all spread out, all doing games together. And uh, Jason texted me just a little bit ago saying that after one day, he feels like it's half of our camp that we usually do, overflow. He says, just this one day felt like I've already lived three days of overflow, our youth event. It was like he just got it in a concentrated dose. But I know for Jason and Becky, that was something that's life-giving, even if it's tiring. So shout out to our student ministry at the Neighborhood Church. Uh, from what little bit I saw, man, it looked like you guys had a blast. So glad we were able to do that. So again, tonight we're going to uh, finish up this scene in Acts chapter 4. Just to give you a lead-in to where we've been, we saw a man healed dramatically. We saw a crowd amazed, and then Peter has to explain to that crowd that this happened because of the name of Jesus. Well, then the leadership, they got angry, and then Peter had to explain himself again, saying it's in the name of Jesus. But unlike that crowd, the leadership was not so happy, threw Peter and John in jail for healing a guy in the name of Jesus, kind of gave them a slap on the wrist and sent them home saying, don't you go talking about Jesus. Don't you go preaching and proclaiming in the name of Jesus again. Well, where did they go? <laughs> what did they do? And what would you do? Maybe if you're like me, you'd think, wow, I kind of dodged a bullet there. I got off easy. So maybe you would have laid low. Maybe you would have kind of packed up and moved to a safer environment. Yeah, let's see what Peter and the community does next. Join me in Acts chapter 4 as we wrap up this scene of this healing and its aftermath. Let's pick up our story again after Peter and John are out of jail in verse 23. You with me? You ready to stick with me? Let's read. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Then he quotes Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Verse 27. Still the prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, remember, they were told not to speak, and now they're praying that they would speak with boldness. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Oh, hey, remember when they arrested him and said, don't go preaching in that name? Well, they want more power and miracles and wonders in the name of Jesus. That's pretty hilarious if you ask me. Finally, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Hey, I'm glad that you joined us. I hope you'll stick with us. Can we pray together before we get back into our story here in just a moment? Just take a deep breath wherever you are. Become present to God's presence. Stay awake to the fact that God is with you, that you are more than what you do, that your value is more than you have, your worth is more than what you can contribute. God is a father longing to be gracious to you, his child. So could we just settle in Become aware, perhaps for the first time this day, that God is with us. That He's longing to be near to us. So could we pay attention back to Him? Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for this moment to fix our eyes on You, to tune our ears to what You would have to say to us through Your Word. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, the ways that you're at work, even now, in our midst. Lord, though we are scattered, would you continue to knit us, keep us together by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would reach out to you and one another, that you would help us and equip us to love you with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. For we learned that from your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're getting back into Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at the community reflex. Before I explain that phrase, I want to ask you something. 
Have you ever had an, uh, an experience when you tell someone, no, you say, don't do this. And then that person says, yeah, okay, I'll show you. Some of you are that person, right? As soon as someone tells you you can't or you shouldn't or you won't, you say, oh yeah, I'll show them. A lot of us parent children like that, the strong-willed child, right? Oh yeah, I'll show you. Well, recently Pastor Bud told me a story that I thought was really funny. Pastor Bud has three daughters, and this is when uh, they were really, really little, And they were visiting some family in like western Arkansas. So it was a good five or six hours from Dallas. So they were spending time with the family. And as you know, you sometimes do in road trips with little kids, you think, hey, let's leave pretty late so that they can just snooze the whole way back home. And so Bud had arranged it to where they're spending time with the family, they're having a good time, and as the day winds down, it gets to about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, he gets his young daughters settled in the back seat, settled in with their pillows and their blankets, they're all buckled up and ready to go, they're saying their goodbyes to the family, and then Bud recalls how this particular family member, Uncle, was it Jerry? I think it was Uncle Jerry you said, but Anyway, that kind of uncle knocks on the window. Remember, Bud's ready to just get him home. Girls, you just sleep. Don't worry about it. Don't fuss about it. We got a long drive. Girls, I need you to sleep. But then Uncle Jerry knocks on that window. Window rolls down. Uncle Jerry looks at those little girls in the back seat all snuggled up, and he says, Hey, girls. Let me tell you, if you stay awake the whole drive back to Dallas, I'll give you each two whole dollars. (laughs) You know they're little because they're like, two bucks? Yeah, dude, I'm game. So even though their dad said, hey, relax, sleep, when two dollars comes up from Uncle Jerry, they're game. Even though Bud says no, what do you think they did? Oh man, all the way through the forests and highways of Arkansas, they're asking every question. They're telling every story. They're just on and on and on and on in the dark car. Bud was hoping they would be asleep, and instead they are just jabbering, jabbering, jabbering from the back seat. But of course, they're still little. So they made it about an hour and a half, maybe two max. But I think that kind of attitude, that kind of spirit, is a little bit of the subtext to what's going on here in the aftermath of this healing and this grilling and this jailing in Acts chapter 4. Hey, we told you to cut it out, but then Peter and this community say, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And what's fascinating right out the gate is that this community had much more than two bucks inspiring them and encouraging them, right? All it took a couple of six-year-olds and four-year-olds was two bucks. But this community, when they get popped in the face, when they get opposed, when they face difficulty, man, they've seen too much. They've experienced too much 
to shut up. They have way more propelling them and driving them. I need you to understand that even in the first few months of the first church, they had seen and walked with Jesus. This was not some kind of philosophy. This was a person who was continuing to move and work in power. This was not just some kind of um, spiritual like concept or practice. The very power of God was on display in their midst. We saw it in Acts chapter 2 with the filling of the Holy Spirit and giving them utterance of all those different languages and all these different people and then all these diverse groups forming together into one kingdom community. This wasn't just some spiritual practice. This was the spirit power becoming resident. They had seen too much. They had experienced too much to shut up. So what's interesting when the rubber meets the road, what's interesting when we get popped in the mouth, what's interesting when circumstances and struggles and people come and oppose us and knock us off our game, typically you have that fight or flight response. I need you to see at the very beginning that they don't fight back in the sense of violence for violence. Maybe because they learned that from Jesus, who was killed instead of killing others. They don't fight in the way that we would think. Do they flee away? Is it flight? Do they just say, forget this, let's just go meditate out in some caves? No, they don't flee. Well, do they disband? Do they say, you know what, this is going to be too hard. I already got enough going on on Saturdays, Sundays, Wednesdays. Nah, this is too hard. This is too uncomfortable. Let's just disband. No, 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 no. Like a patient sitting at the doctor's office, when he takes that little mallet and bonks that knee, the reflex is not to fight, flee, or disband. The reflex is instead at least three things that we saw in our text a moment ago. You ready for them? The first is community. The second is prayer. The third is the story. I'm going to explain these in the next few moments we have together. But understand that when they get hit, the reflex is not to fight, flee, or disband and say, too tough. Instead, they lean into community, they get on their knees in prayer, and then they see themselves in the broader story that God is still writing. Here's where we're headed. Community, prayer, story. Those three things ground them and empower them to keep going. And don't you and I want to be grounded and empowered when we're hit. Y'all, we've been doing this pandemic, this quarantine for months. We're staring ahead for an uncertain fall at school and work. Oh, how we need grounding and empowering because the hits are going to keep coming. It's going to keep being uncomfortable. Oh, that we would be grounded and empowered by community, prayer, and story. So, 
First one, community. What do I mean? Well, look with me again at what we just read in verse 23. Where do they go after they're released from jail, after they get their slap on the wrist? Who bails them out? Where do they wind up? They go back to their own people, and they report all that the chief priests and elders had heard. Who are your own people? Who are they? Who's that person that you text, that you call, when that crazy thing happens? Who's the one you're calling? Who are you processing with as you look ahead to the next month? Whose advice are you seeking? Oh, I hope that you have some people, right? Who is it that you cry with? Who is it that you celebrate with, right? Who gets the texts and the phone calls for the bad news and the good news? Who are your people? It's so interesting that already in this early church, we saw the Holy Spirit take a diverse community and knit them into a kingdom family. Jesus had spoken earlier about who's my mother, who's my brothers. He kind of redefined family to be the same people who are knit together by the mission and power of God. He said, who's my brother and sister? It's those who are on this journey doing the work and will of God with me. Already the first church says, these are my people. We know that Peter was married. Jesus healed his mother-in-law when Jesus first met him. We know that he had family. We know that family is important. But can't family be much bigger than how we define it? Can't family also be a kingdom family? Oh, I hope that your people includes your church, your kingdom of God family. So here is the invitation. It takes all of us a two-way street. I'm hoping that when we're getting hit, when we're facing an uncertain future, oh, that you would continue to reach out and lean in to this community. Oh, that you would make this your people. Because this is the people that God has knit us together with to process, to cry with in the bad news to celebrate with the good news because these are the people that are encouraging you on the journey together. That's why at the Neighborhood Church we say we're following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. You can't do it alone. Man, I can't do it alone. We need to continue to reach out and lean in to this kingdom community. For Peter and John, it had already become the inner circle. I pray, oh, I pray, and I want to help facilitate within this church that we can be an inner circle as well. You with me on that? So the reflex, right, when they get hit, first they go to their people. This is my community. It helps ground them and empower them. The second thing they do is prayer. So verse 24, it says, after they've reported back, after they're processing, when they heard all this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I love this. Maybe your Bible says with one voice, right? There's something interesting happening there because practically speaking, uh, probably what's going on is one person is voicing a prayer. Not unlike we would do in church, like we just did, or like we do in our groups. One person is praying, right? There's one voice. 
but it also entails a unity and intention where there may be one person speaking, but they're all together. They're united. Someone might be speaking, but they're all sharing the same spirit. Here's what I mean by that. You know why we say the word amen, right, when we're done? Or if you grew up in churches like I did, you know, can I get an amen? Right, that word amen effectively means may it be. And when you say amen to something I say, or I say amen to something she says, it's like saying, yeah, that, ooh, I'm going to co-sign that. Amen, yes, may that be, may that happen. So when you get a bunch of people united together in the same spirit, it's like a campfire. And it's like not just taking two or three pieces of wood together, but when you start adding more and more to the fire, when you start adding those coals, those embers, that wood, there's something that happens when we join our souls and focus our intention that releases kingdom energy. God is a relational being. We confess as Orthodox Christians that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equal in essence, but distinct in persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All God, but in relationship. Being with a capital B in relationship. God longs to spill out his power and overflow of love to bring all of these people into his will, into his wants, into his desires. We all pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're all here saying, amen, yes, we're co-signing on that. There's something that happens when we join the God who is in relationship, in relationship with one another, to join our souls and focus our intention that really just releases more kingdom energy. It's the way that God seems to work and want us to do it. That's why we pray so much together. That's why we invite corporate prayer together. Even a couple hours ago, getting a text from someone in our community because her husband's going into a difficult situation, and that on that text, I've got a bunch of little people's face bubbles up on my messaging app. If we can all join our souls and intentions together, we trust that God is hearing us and that God will release his kingdom energy and power. The last few weeks in our live streams, I've talked about this Eugene Peterson quote where he says, prayer is a soul at attention before God. So what happens when we pray together? We're mingling our souls at attention in the same direction, right? To God on this request, on this behalf. That's what they do. That's their reflex of prayer. Let's get into what the prayer was. Did y'all see how interesting that prayer was? They start by addressing God as creator. Do you see that? Right there after verse 24, what we just read, they say, Sovereign Lord, you are the creator of, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's really interesting. They address God as creator, number one, to basically say like, hey, his jurisdiction is higher than the chief of the temple police. His jurisdiction is higher 
than the Sadducees and the elders and the priests trying to keep order and keep their tradition, even though God is moving beyond it. Yeah, God is the one who created all of this. His jurisdiction is a little bit higher. But thanks, though. Then they address God as the director of history. So first creator, then director of history. Basically, not only is his jurisdiction higher, but his plan won't be thwarted. Did you notice that after they quote the psalm, which I'm going to get to here on our third point, they talk about how Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against Jesus, whom you anointed. All of the people, right? It's not just that group or that group or that group. It's all the groups. They were opposed to Jesus and his kingdom and his way. So they all killed him. But look in their prayer. But they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It's really fascinating that scripture talks about how God is overseeing, using, bending all of these things, even if they're opposed to him and his will. God is using it all and bending it all so that his plan and purpose will get there safely in the end. Let me illustrate it like this. If we were to show up and all take a Greyhound bus together, right? We all showed up at the station, and we all chose to get into that bus. All right, I'm headed where this bus is headed, okay? I want to take this bus to that destination. I'm in. The destination is God's ultimate final purpose. When Jesus returns to judge the world and renew all things, right? That's where the bus is headed. And you and I can choose to get in on that bus. Other folks don't want anything to do with it, right? They've been on a Greyhound bus. No thanks. Yuck. I'm not having it. But for those of us that choose to get on the bus, that bus departs on its scheduled time, and it is going to make it to the end. Even if along the road there's debris People throw some junk into the road. Even if the bus has to slow down or speed up or take a different turn or a different reroute. To say that God is the director of history is to say that whatever debris, nature, will, forces are opposed to this journey, God will get us to the destination. In the ultimate no to God... We're going to kill God the Son himself, did not deter God. Humanity's no was overcome by God's yes. Everything that's happening in your life on a micro level, Paul in Romans 8 will say, God is working together all things for good for those who love him and who are on the bus. Right? Adam's paraphrase translation. If you're on the bus, it doesn't mean that the journey is going to be easy, but it does mean that God is going to get you safely to the end. We see this in the big way of the cross, which is what they pray about. We see it in the little ways, even in your life, in my life. This week, someone in our small group was talking about how 
This season has been so difficult for her. And she says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, that I want to be able to look back on this difficulty and see beauty. Man, isn't that powerful? There's something about looking back in the bus at where you've come in the journey and being able to recognize that that difficulty doesn't have to have the last word. That death, that pain, that brokenness. Actually, I'm going to trust that God is going to have the last word. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're able to look at difficulty square in the face and say, you're not the last word. I want to be able to look back at all this difficulty and still see beauty in it. I want to be thankful for every day that I have with my health, Every day that I have with my family, with you all, my friends. I want to be thankful that even though my two daughters spend a lot of their day bickering, I want to look back on this season and say, I think this, being stuck at home, is what changed them into best friends. In the littlest ways and in the biggest ways. Would you and I hop on the bus and trust that God is the director of history and he's going to get us safely to the end. That's effectively what they're praying there. They address God as creator, they address God as director, and then finally they ask God as a giver. Now, pay attention here because this is big. Y'all, this ate my lunch this week. What did they not pray for? Okay, let's look at what they don't ask God for first, right? Remember, this is the reflex of prayer. They've been hit in the mouth. This is the first of many oppositions and persecutions. And the first prayer that we have recorded, right, word for word, kind of the summary of this prayer after the first time they wind up in jail, they don't say, hey, Lord, kill them, right? (laughs) Lord, smite them. We have some psalms in our Bible, some poems that express the raw human emotion, the raw human anger that says, God, they hit us, you hit them even more. Y'all, the Jesus community does not pray that. That's wild to me. They also don't ask that they're stopped. Did you notice that? They don't say, God, stop them dead in their tracks. Remove them from their post. Remove them from office. Whoops. Don't stop them. They don't pray. This is the third thing they don't ask for. Convert them. That's interesting. Not to say that they didn't long for them to see Jesus, because that's what Peter did. When he had an opportunity to talk with these leaders, he said, y'all got to change your mind about Jesus. But they don't pray that God kills them, stops them, or converts them. Okay, so what do they ask for? Look back with me in Acts chapter 4. They say, Lord, consider their threats. Basically, they're saying, God, look at this. It's as if you got some kind of injustice and you've built your case and you go up to the lawyer, the advocate, and you say, look, isn't this crazy? Will you take my case? Look, at, look, look, isn't this nuts? This is effectively what they're praying. All they're praying first is, hey, God, pay attention. Are you, are you with us on this? 
I think that's a good prayer to pray. Sometimes we feel like God has left the building, right? This is natural. This is part of our life with God. This is part of our journey. We can't fully comprehend him. We cannot fully see him. We cannot fully hear him. Let's just call it what it is, right? If you can fully see him, comprehend him, and hear him, we got to talk because I'm not so sure you have that kind of access. It's just part of our life as finite people that God has brought into relationship. Man, we're just going to feel like he's left the building and we don't know what the heck is going on. It's okay to pray, God, pay attention. Do you see this? Do you look at this? That's the first thing they pray. The next thing they say is, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. That's hilarious. Because remember when they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus? They are now asking God to do just that. They effectively live out Peter's response that we looked at a week ago. Hey, should we judge to listen to you or to listen to God? This is their emphatic answer. Yeah, we're about what God's about. Even if it doesn't square with your policies and procedures, we're about what God's about. They're aligned with God's purpose. So they say, enable us to do our job that you've called us to. Hear this. They're effectively saying, we know our path. We know what we're called to. We know Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, even if it means death. We know our path. Now hear this. So don't take us out of it. Give us strength to go through it. Don't take us out of it. Give us strength to go through it. Sometimes God will bring you to paths that you don't want to walk. Sometimes he will allow things to happen you don't want to experience. The line forms to the left of people that can say, yes, I've experienced that. Cancer, sickness, struggle, loneliness, all of these things. But at a certain point, when prayer is our reflex, when community is our reflex, we get to see ourselves as part of this journey that's going to go through the green pastures as well as the dark valleys. And what's fascinating about that very famous poem in Psalm 23 that honestly, I try to pray every day and memorize and just get it into my body. To know that some days I'm going to be living in green pastures and still waters. But other days he's going to bring me right to the precipice of the valley that is shadowy and filled with all kinds of danger. But I need to know that he's not always going to take me out of it. But he will give me strength to go through it. God is ready to give you what you need for what he has called you to walk in the next week. God is ready to give you what you need to walk where you need to walk in the next month. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to suck. I don't know what it's going to look like exactly. But I can tell you confidently with a cloud of witnesses that have been punched in the mouth and their reflex becomes community and prayer that they will say he'll give you just enough to get through to the next step. 
And when I don't believe it, would you remind me of that too? When I'm in this community and I need to remember, would you remind me of that too? That's why we need community. That's why we need prayer. The final thing they pray for is, God, would you just keep doing what you're doing? Did you see that? Stretch out your hand, the signs, the wonders in the name of Jesus. God will be on the front lines speaking boldly in your name. And that means we got a front row seat to what you're going to do. We just saw you heal this man that was lame for 40 years, couldn't walk. And in the name of Jesus and with a little hand up, he was restored and healed. God, we want a front row seat for what you are going to do. But if we want a front row seat, it means we need to be on the front lines. Amen. God invites us to a relationship and partnership to be kingdom ambassadors, following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. And y'all, I want a front row seat. So that's the prayer in a nutshell. I know I've skipped the little psalm illusion. That's my third piece of the puzzle in a minute. So let's get to verse 31, the answer to the prayer. Raise your hand if you've ever had a prayer answered like this. (laughs) After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's an unusual response, but I know that there are some communities that have experienced some kind of parallel, dramatic, demonstrative answer. You see the shaking, right? And I think that Luke includes that to say, hey, God heard. Then you see the filling, right, of the Holy Spirit, very Acts 2-like, right? Hey, God empowered them. And then you see them speaking the word of God boldly. Hey, God answered your prayer. You may not experience the shaking of your living room, or you might. But I would encourage you to pay attention to the ways that God does answer your prayers. I think a lot of times we like to ask and ask and ask And we forget to recognize when he gives and gives and gives. I've shared this little anecdote before, but one of our dear sisters, Raquel Quinones, Carla's mom, one of our kingdom partners out in El Paso, she had this practice for uh, a while. I know she did this years ago when she would keep a prayer journal and log what she's asking God for and praying for. And then when God answers that prayer, she goes back and what does she do? You remember? She circles it, right? So you may not be in a living room that's shaking, but you can be on a journey of circling, of recognizing that God gives us what we ask for. God gives us what we need. I think that would be a wonderful habit to start to build into your life with God and remember that we don't just ask, we receive. And we need to be recognizing that in our everyday lives. So they get hit in the mouth. The reflex is community. This is my inner circle. And then ultimately, their reflex is prayer. With one voice, all these hearts. And then finally, the reflex is the story, right? The story of God. After they address God as creator and director and giver, they also quote Psalm. They quote Psalm number two, which is really a popular psalm in that day and was already recognized as messianic. Do you know what I mean when I say a messianic psalm? It's a psalm that they see as pointing ahead to God's Messiah, 
God's anointed king. So they quote Psalm 2, which is about how all of these nations and people are raging and conspiring against God's king and God's kingdom. And God's response is to say, look, this is my guy, and you can make all those plans and threats, but it will not thwart my king and my kingdom. That's Psalm 2 in a nutshell. So when they're praying that, they're doing something remarkable. They're not just quoting that psalm on a philosophical level. They're quoting it in prayer on an experiential level. And here's what I mean. What they've been doing in this first chunk of the book of Acts is saying, Oh, that story? Oh, that scripture about them is about this moment and us. Do you see how wild and precocious and bold that is? Oh, that for them is actually about this for us. Let me say it this way. <laughs> this is wild. They are bold enough to believe that they are the next chapter in the story that God is still writing. Can I say that again? They are bold enough to believe that they are the next chapter in the story that God is still writing. Isn't that wild? Now, would we dare to be bold enough to believe that we are a part of the story that God is still writing too? Does God care about you and your life and your love for neighbor and the front lines and the front seat to see God do incredible things in our community? I think so. Man, could we be bold enough to believe that? But here's the trick. When we find ourselves swept up into that story, we need to remember that every good story has a conflict. You with me on that? Every good story has conflict. Even ours. Even yours. Even mine. Do you understand? They oppose Jesus to the point of rejecting him and crucifying him. Why should the followers of Jesus expect any different? This is what the early church knew immediately because it was fresh in their minds. They were there. They saw it. If they treated Jesus like this, why should we expect to be treated any differently? Understand that Jesus' name is calling and demanding an allegiance that's higher than our state and our circumstance and our family. And so when we elevate Jesus over these other allegiances, there's going to be some conflict there. Understand that Jesus' way, the way we're called to love and forgive and to give and to serve, is different from the way of our other cultures. It's different from the other dark forces at work in the world. Understand that Jesus' name and Jesus' way is going to bring conflict into your life. Understand that it's going to be conflict in your family. It's going to bring conflict on your Facebook and Twitter. Instagram, I'm not on it, but I think it's a little happier of the social media platforms. But you could probably get into some conflict there too. To put Jesus' name in Jesus' way first is to naturally bring you into conflict because you're living against the grain. When you're living God's kingdom, you're going against the grain of all the other kingdoms. But take heart. 
even though you're going against the grain of all the other kingdoms, you're on the bus headed towards God's kingdom come in full. So stick with it, even if it means conflict. So let me wind down by bringing this home in this way. The early church, and you see this in the letters like James, Romans that I mentioned earlier, you see that they have this identity of suffering in solidarity. I'm suffering in solidarity with the suffering Savior. This week in our group, we looked at Romans chapter 5, and there's this interesting phrase that say, I glory in my suffering. And we were saying, dude, what? What a strange thing to say. Who wants to glory and boast in their suffering? How about when the New Testament says, count it joy when you experience trials and persecutions? And both of those say they lead to endurance. When you're suffering and enduring persecution, it's building up your muscles like the resistance when you're in the gym. So count it joy because it's producing something and count it joy because you're in solidarity with the suffering Savior. So let me paraphrase Richard Rohr this way. He says, nothing forms us like great love and great suffering. Nothing forms you and I like great love and great suffering. You've experienced this in your life. When someone loves you relentlessly, recklessly, unconditionally, it changes you. When you see God with a white-hot, burning passion to win you back and form you with great love, it forms you. So too, great suffering. When you're put through the furnace and the ringer, you come out different on the other side. But hear this when it comes to great suffering. It's not automatic that you're formed for the better. Are you with me on this? How many of us know people that have been put through the ringer and it's, the jury's out if they've come through better, right? A lot of people don't look back and say, yeah, that was awesome because look who I am now. It's not automatic. But here's what I want to leave you with. When you have the context, the undergirding of community and prayer and the story, your place in the broader story, when you see yourself in solidarity with Jesus, and more importantly, when you see God in solidarity with you, to paraphrase another Jesuit, they say that all suffering is God's suffering. Wherever it is that you see suffering in the world, know that God is there experiencing that suffering too. He has entered into the human story, the human condition. You're not just in solidarity with the suffering servant. Know that God is in solidarity with you. And so when you have the context, the reflexes of community, prayer, and that kind of story, I think you can weather the storm. And when you get hit in the mouth, may you see your reflexes as leaning into a community, as getting on your knees in prayer, and finding yourself into the broader story that God is still writing. So I'll leave you with these questions. 
What's your reflex when you get hit in the mouth? If it's not community, if it's not prayer, if it's not scripture, why not? And then finally, what would it look like for you to start building your reflex now before the next fight? What would it look like to start training and building that endurance now in community, in prayer, and in the story that God has written in his word and is still writing in your life? What are your reflexes and what are you going to do to build them up? Community, prayer, story. May you go in God's peace, empowered and equipped for the week ahead, knowing that God is with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, and that he really is working all things together for his good. Amen.